Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I sound like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. There's a story we tell ourselves that if you don't get started early, you'll never get started. If you're not a prodigy, you don't stand a chance. If you're not the first one out of the gate, there's no way you can win the race. I tell myself that story, at least, and it's, uh, it's a narrative that has served me poorly over the years. It's kept me from doing things that I might have otherwise done. Dreams that I might have realized have gone unrealized because of this narrative that I tell myself, and I would bet that I'm not the only one. Jung Yun is living proof that you don't have to get started early. You don't have to have an MFA when you're 22 years old. You don't have to publish your first novel before you hit 30. She published her first novel, Shelter, at 43. She's about to release her second novel, Oh Beautiful. And she's widely regarded, with good reason, as one of the greatest writers of her generation. So if you're telling yourself a story about it being too late, Jung Yoon is a great walking proof that that story is a lie. I loved getting to speak with her. She joined me from her home near Washington, D.C., where she teaches at George Washington University. She is an easy person to talk to, and she's gentle with her doling out of wisdom, and she's funny and she's kind, and all these things you're going to learn as you listen to this interview. And I'm really grateful that she joined me. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Jung Yun. Welcome to Wheels Off, Jung Yun. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here with you. And congratulations on Oh Beautiful. It's so exciting, your second novel. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, man, it's so cool. And is it officially out yet? Or are we still just in the lead up? <laughs> it's out tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. So this will air in, I think, a week. So it will have just come out. Perfect. Oh, my gosh. And I know from um, having listened to other interviews you've done that you've been done with it for a while. Like you shopped this over a year ago. I did. I did. I, I think I sold it. At, we went into contract right before the pandemic in February of 2020, which feels like like another era altogether. I know. I know. Well, thank goodness it's coming out now because um, it could have gotten pushed back even further. I know a lot of books have been getting pushed back. Yeah, definitely. Ugh. It's a hard time to be to be publishing and it's a hard fall, I think, to be publishing. There's so much good stuff out right now. So, Sure. 
there's a there's an equivalent in the music industry where we tried to book a bunch of shows and the clubs were like, sorry, we're full already. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. Does that have a name? Does that have like a slang nickname? Yeah, well, there's no avails. No avails. Okay. Which I, I kind of like that, right? It's like to know we tried to get a gig to no avail. Yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> it's very descriptive. Yes. Um, so then I imagine there's been uh, in that ensuing year plus, there's been a lot of stuff happening um, at 5 a.m. on your computer. I'm wondering what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up? I am sort of torn between two different projects that are both pulling on me um, in really interesting ways. Um, one is that I started my, my third novel, which is a novel that's set in New York right around 9-11. Um, and the other is a possible screen adaptation of Oh Beautiful, uh, which I'm just working on for my own, I, I think edification because I've always been interested in screenwriting. Um, and it, it's hard in this moment, like right before a publication, pulling yourself away from the novel and really starting to work full force on the next one. So I'm just sort of keeping myself sort of mentally in Oh Beautiful um, by thinking about a screenplay, um, which is something that I've always wanted to do anyway. Wow. Is it is it terribly different or is it just like you just write the dialogue and leave out all the other stuff? <laughs> it's terribly different. It's also, you know, strangely, screenwriting is my first love. When I uh, first decided that I really wanted to write, I was living in New York and um, working a series of jobs that, I mean, I was in the office all the time. So this desire to write was always coming up against time and energy and, you know, things like sleeping and eating. So I decided to take a screenwriting class and for some reason, like not having to be responsible for narrative made me think that it might be quote unquote easier. And of course it's not easy at all, but that was my first sort of toe in the water of um, writing and wanting to tell stories, which is, you know, uh, is what I do now, but just in, in novel form. So. What was the great Mark Twain? I think it was Mark Twain, the quote about, I'm sorry, this letter's so long. I didn't have to, time to write something briefer. <laughs> is that him? I, I, it so, sounds like it could be, right? <laughs> sounds like um, well, so that so that's fantastic, though. You're 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 taking a crack at an adaptation of Oh Beautiful. Is it weird to revisit something because it was probably a couple of years ago you put it to bed, right? It, you know, actually, I it, it's gone through so many iterations and so much drafting and so much revision. I also sold it as a partial manuscript, so it wasn't complete at the time that I sold it. So I still have a lot of writing to do. Okay. I don't think I put it to bed formally until like September of 2020. And then we were doing like revisions and copy edits for a while. So um, it doesn't feel like I've put it to bed for long, but you know, it, it's, it's at that point now where it's all out of my hands and I'm just sort of waiting. <laughs> so this project is keeping me busy while, while I'm, I'm waiting it all out. Um. So we discussed right before we started recording that you had um, studied at Vassar, which is across the river from where I live. And then you wound up in Manhattan. Um, were you, you, I'm trying to figure, you wouldn't have been there around 9-11, right? Um, like, I was there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was there. And I left um, around the same time that I think you did, which is mm -hmm. right, right afterward. So yeah, we were both there. Wow. So th that's, 
it's an interesting thing to grapple with it um, in writing because it's just, it's so hard to wrap your mind around it. But it is, it is definitely. The and fact that I guess you experienced it firsthand. So that's, you have to start there, I guess. Yeah. Um, but also trying to experience it in a bigger way, uh, which for me means doing research, going back to the day, going back to the days before, the months and, and years afterward, um, sifting through a lot of footage, um, archival, and sort of piecing together because I obviously don't want this next novel to be about, you know, some sort of auto-fictional account of my experience around that time, but um, telling a story that is bigger and different from my own. And I'm at that really sort of interesting stage where I don't know what the story is yet. I just, I know when it is, I know where it is, but I don't know the people who populate it entirely. Oh, interesting. I know that, um, uh, from what I gathered that before Shelter, you did a lot of research as well. That that seems like it's a part of your process, despite the fact that you're writing fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, same with uh, Oh Beautiful. I, I spend a long, long, long period of time reading um, in a really sort of interdisciplinary way. So fiction, lots of different forms of nonfiction, lots of different forms of academic writing. Um, I know more about fracking and horizontal <laughs> drilling than anyone, any lay person really needs to. Uh, but I don't think I can really write effectively or know the possibilities of what I can write unless I do the research first. I guess you would have to. Like, I didn't even realize there was an oil boom in 2012 in, yeah. in North Dakota. Yeah, huge one. Huge one. Who knew? It's second only to Texas, the oil production in the United States. So, wow. Yeah. Um, Forgive me for taking a momentary. Uh, we used to, my family used to drive up to my mom's best friend's lake house near Brainerd and yeah. every summer. <laughs> so we would go into Brainerd and see Paul Bunyan. And then, uh -huh. and I did go over to Fargo a few times as well. And yeah, that's a, that's a, gotta be a crazy place to grow up. It was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. It's so funny that you mentioned Brainerd because I just wrote an essay for Lit Hub about the movie Fargo, which is sure. believe it or not, 25 years old. I can't. Oh get over that but that movie has the name of my hometown which is Fargo but it was set and filmed in, in and around Brainerd Minnesota so I think um I've been thinking about Brainerd actually quite a lot lately um yeah I it was a I mean I I'm in my late 40s so I grew up in North Dakota in the 1970s and 80s so it was definitely a strange time um to be growing up in the in the upper upper Midwest. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I mean, I was a kid, I had a, a pretty happy childhood, um, but definitely, definitely sort of felt a little bit of the, the fish out of water syndrome, which I think shows up in my work from, from time to time, for sure. Well, I, so I wonder about that. I always, I'm fascinated by people's origin stories. And I wonder when you were a kid and you were starting, probably were reading a lot. I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess. Absolutely. Um, good guess. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I wonder, do you remember um, early memories of knowing that you wanted to create uh, writing, to be a writer? Do you have a, do, uh, did you have an epiphany moment? You know, I definitely thought that the librarians were like the smartest, best people on the planet. Um, and I thought that if I could do what they did, which in my childhood um, mind, I thought that librarians were just people who got to read books and talk to people about books. I thought that was really cool. 
Um, I didn't really think about necessarily writing. It was something that I liked to do. It was encouraged as like a good little hobby and something that I needed to be good at for school. But, you know, my parents were, you know, they were Korean American first generation immigrants. Um, they were small business owners. We didn't know artists or musicians or writers. I didn't grow up with the mindset that that people, like regular people like us could create art. Like that was just so far from, um, from the realm of possibility for me. So I didn't, you know, I hear all these writers who talk about like knowing when, when they were like seven or eight that they wanted to write. That wasn't really me. I didn't, I didn't think that that was in the cards for, for anyone like me. Did at that time, was there some other um, avenue that you imagined your life, you know, taking? <laughs> at one point I wanted to be a senator, a senator. <laughs> And then, and, then, and then like the following year, I wanted to be a secretary. Like, I don't know, like, I didn't understand that progression at all, but I mean, I was good, so who the hell knows? Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a 15-year-old daughter that went from wanting to be um, a president to now she wants to design clothes. So, you know, who even knows? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I flip-flopped like a thousand times, you know, before then, Um when I was 22 and a senior at Vassar, I had this chance to go out to LA um, and to basically start in the bottom, you know, real mailroom kind of stuff and work my way up. Um, and that was the thing that I really, really wanted to do. And I just wasn't brave enough to take the leap. So I think the, the screenwriting is always sort of the path that I didn't travel on um, earlier on in my life, you know, when I was young enough and you know, could have stomached like living with six people and making no money and working crazy hours. Um, yeah, that was the path not taken. So you would have gone to LA and like gotten in the bottom floor of like a studio job, like writing coverage a, or something. Marketing, marketing, uh, marketing. But I would have been at least out in LA, like sort of soaking up whatever energy people, <laughs> you know, yeah. bottle there um, and sort of peripherally related um, to the business that I wanted to be a part of. So I had like a door that was open for me by uh, a Vassar alum and really grappled with whether or not I wanted to walk through it and ultimately just wasn't brave enough at, at 22 to make that choice. And you wound up instead in Manhattan in an office. No, <laughs> even more boring than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I graduated in the middle of a, a really terrible recession and so I went to grad school. Um, I, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I lived in Philly and I was getting my master's in government. Like I just, <laughs> I was, you know, 22 and that seemed like a, a safe and stable thing to do. So yeah, I, I got a master's in government. <laughs> wow. Do you think you'll wind up using that in something you write? I really hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. Cause it was like a year and a half, two years of my life that, that I was going through the motions of doing it and thinking like, Jesus, what am I, what am I doing here? Um, and al also again, like sort of too busy to actually get any, like anything artful done. I was just a graduate student who was working a couple of different jobs. So I hope one day, Rhett, that that it'll work its way in. I just don't know how yet. So really, the the realistic or the dream 
of um, of being a writer or the sort of the self actualization of this, you never even thought about it until mid twenties. I would say it happened a little bit during college. Uh huh. Um, and I would scratch out a couple of stories, like in my quote unquote spare time as an undergrad. Um, I submitted a manuscript to get to a creative writing class and I got rejected. And, oh. <laughs> and, you know, being young and impressionable, I was like, okay, that's the end of the line. I just sort of assumed that if a faculty member had plucked my, my story out and didn't care for it, that that just meant that I didn't have what it took to be a writer. And I took that, you know, I, I took that very much to heart. I was very, very impressionable. Um, and then figured like, okay, I have my answer. So <laughs> it didn't take much in those days. Boy, it's so funny. I just did an interview with um, Joe Garner, who records albums uh, as the Colonel is sort of his alter ego. Um, and his story was interesting. He didn't get started until his mid twenties, but he's recently started trying to write fiction. And he hmm. was t telling me about all the rejection slips that he's been piling up. And we, um, I asked him if he'd read the Stephen King book on writing, which is, I'm sure you've read. It's so great. Lovely. He, yeah. He talks about the spike that just fills up, you know? So the idea of you getting rejected from a creative writing class based on an actual writing sample, mm -hmm. that's gotta be heartening to anyone listening who, who has been rejected or will be rejected, which is basically all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know it at the time. I didn't understand rejection when I was that young. It just knew that it was something that like it hurt. But then I thought like my responsibility was just to like roll with it, get up, dust myself off and move on to the next thing, which is kind of what I did. But the desire never left me. So, you know, it would just come and visit me like every couple of years, um, depending on what I was doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And and now, in addition, obviously, to writing, you you teach. How, like, how big of a course load do you have? How many students do you have? I, I wonder now that you're the one, you know, <laughs> rejecting them. Or hopefully not. And actually, um, I teach two courses per semester um, at George Washington University. I teach in an all undergraduate program, um, which is actually really important to me uh, to be able to work with students who are at around the same age when I kind of turned away from writing. Um, one of the things that I, one of the many things I love about GW is that we don't have a sort of audition system to get into these workshops. It's first come, first serve, depending on um, your registration number. So I don't have to be in that position of saying, okay, uh, this person is in and this person is out. Um, I think everyone, it's all luck of the draw and everyone who has, you know, a, a high enough number gets a chance to try. And that to me is, is important because my life could have gone in such a different route <laughs> um, if that had been the system in place when I was an undergrad. Mm. Yeah, that, that is kind of crazy. And, and so then let's see, shelter was 2016. Yes. Yeah. So that's, and you had already probably been teaching at that point, right? Or you didn't. Sort of, sort of. <laughs> so. I did the, the goofy master's degree in government. Then I worked in New York for like eight years, okay. um, left after 9-11, went back to graduate school for my MFA in, in creative writing when I was in my early 30s, worked at a university at a teaching and learning center, um, did some teaching part-time, and was 43 when my first book came out, for, almost 44 when my first book came out. So there was just a really long period in between these decision points of um, trying to be a writer. 
before anything actually happened that was close to it. Well, yeah, I hope you don't mind my drilling in on this. I just think it's so fascinating and in so many ways inspiring, especially to those of us who maybe put off writing fiction and writing so and then kept saying, I can do this in my 40s or in my 50s. There's no reason not to. I just think it's so inspiring. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know how much I would have actually had to say um, in my in my twenties, um, or I would have been constantly like trying to emulate other writers that I admired. Um, I think that there's, you know, everything happened in due time with me, and I think that there was a period like in my thirties where I had left like a really good, high-paying job to become a graduate student, making no money, <laughs> and there was that sort of desert of years, um, like fourteen years, where I wasn't finishing a novel, publishing a novel, getting an agent. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh my God, I've made such a terrible, terrible mistake with my life. <laughs> but um, yeah, just kind of digging in and and keeping with it and kind of following the adage, you know, button seat every day. Uh, that's the only way anything changes or anything gets done. Oh, that's so great. So I wonder about that 14 year desert. And I wonder about even even now, just like the time, um, like during the pandemic, trying to write, waiting for these this new book to come out. Um, one thing that we talk about a lot or that I talk about a lot during the last 101 episodes of Wheels Off that I've been lucky enough to speak with creative people. Everyone I've spoken to deals with um, self-generated obstacles, you know, voices in our heads that that keep us from succeeding. And and I wonder for you, um, how did you push through? How did you persevere? How do you deal with those internally generated obstacles? Oosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I am a master at internally generating my own obstacles. <laughs> I, I really am. And I think part of it came from the fact that um, you know, post 9-11, I had some really serious decisions to make about how I was living my life. Um, I always say that I, I I worked in New York, but I didn't really live in New York. I, all I just was work. Um, and I wasn't getting anything creative or artistic done, even though I really wanted to. Um, and I also worked with these arts organizations. So I was always in the company of other artists who were actually doing the kind of work that I wanted to do and, and spending a lot of time um, feeling pretty conflicted about the way the rest of my life was going to go. Um, so, you know, I think that making the decision to leave New York, it was surprising to a lot of people. It was surprising to me. Um, it was probably like the strangest and the bravest thing that I've ever done because I was so sort of set in my ways. Um, but that was also part of the big obstacle over those 14 years. Cause I was always looking back at the life that I had, the money that I used to have that used to just come like regularly in the form of a paycheck um, and wishing that I had that stability again. And then constantly kind of reminding myself, but look at all the things that you had to give up in order to have that level of stability. And I'm talking about financial stability. Um, So I would kind of go back and I did this really um, cruel thing to myself where I kept a spreadsheet. Um, And every year that I was in grad school and every year after I graduated, when I was writing, I would put my, what I would have made as my salary. Oh, so mean. I think about it now, I'm like, who is this person? But I 
had it like tally up like what I would have actually made. And you know, just some background for you and for, for the people who are listening, the reason why like this financial stability was so important to me was that I grew up not having it for long periods of time. And, you know, being an immigrant, having that message sort of embedded in me that like my family uprooted their lives to come to this country so that I would have a chance at an education and a good job and the stability that my parents always wanted for me. So that was part of my sort of ethos and, and what pushed me forward. So that was the biggest sort of obstacle that I would put up in front of myself um, during that 14 year period, kind of going back to what I used to do, how it used to make me feel, which is kind of shitty, <laughs> um, but then thinking, but I had so much more then, and then just back and forth and back and forth until it just made me kind of um, all twisted up inside. And that's not good for the writing. Yeah. So I wonder about that. That sounds like negative. Um, what's the word? Negative inspiration. When, when coaches will yell at their team to get them to play better. It's yes. <laughs> yes. I, I don't, you know, I think that's, one of the terrible things, like I knew so many like talented writers who are really wonderful people. Um, I know a lot of artists who are, are talented, wonderful people, but some, I feel like we can, we will always be meaner to ourselves and crueler to ourselves than anyone else ever will be. Like no one's treated me as badly as I've treated myself over those years. Um, when, when I was feeling quote unquote fallow, but I wasn't fallow at all. I was just learning my craft. Right. Mm. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder about that. I just, I was realizing this the other day, whenever I imagine what someone else is saying about me, it's horrible. It's, it's, <laughs> right. it's not, it's not great. Yeah. We should yeah. be kinder to ourselves. Yeah. That's an excellent point. I think so. Like I regret absolutely nothing. I don't regret not going to California when I was 22. I don't regret the years that I worked in New York, but I do regret like the fact that I treated myself worse than anyone has ever treated me. Oh. Um, yeah. Bummer, right? Yeah, well, it kind of breaks my heart. And, you know, you could say, well, you can't. I had, I had this producer years ago that used to go, you can't argue with the sales. But, um, but I mean, I don't think that that self-flagellation made you better at your craft, did it? No, no, it just made me more tormented and it made me more impatient. Um, and, yeah, I just didn't, I really had this, like, sort of dreamy, doe-eyed, idea that I would get my MFA, spend three years, I would write a thesis and I would publish the thesis. <laughs> and then, you know, off, off to the races I would be. And I just had no idea what it really took to do the work, to, to learn the work um, and to produce something that was meaningful to me that I could, that I could send out and be proud of. Um, I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, I think it's so inspiring and it's a, just an object lesson. Like there is a path. Everyone has their own path. I'm sure there's people that, that are prodigies and start out and, you know, blaze yeah. into the world very early, but the fact that you were able to do the work and that's what it comes down to so often, right? Do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's the only way anyone I have ever known who has published a book has published a book. <laughs> Um, so in a moment, I'll ask you to distill some of this excellent wisdom you've been sharing. So I wonder about this because I think now that you've got rooms full of them um, on a biweekly basis or whatever, uh, yourself as a 21-year-old, if you were able to speak to yourself, but in today's you know, world, in th this year, 
Um, if you were able to give yourself some advice, what advice might you give your 21-year-old self? You know, um, for a while, I used to think in my 30s that I would tell my, my younger self, go take that job in California. Um, try and see what happens. These days, I think the advice that I would actually give is don't beat yourself up for any decision that you've ever made. Like you've made it for reasons, you had your, you made your choices. Um, contextually, you had your reasons for doing what you did. Like just, just live it out and, um, and, and roll with what, what comes. And eventually like the things that are meaningful, like the writing for me, it comes back to you. Um, you know, like it, it comes back because it never leaves you. Oh, I love that. I'm going to personally use that advice that you just gave. Is that all right? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. Oh, well, I'm so excited um, for Oh Beautiful to to make its way into the world. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what what comes of this next book, uh, just as a fellow New Yorker during that time. It's such a, a tricky thing to deal with and I can't imagine anybody better suited because you're you're so great and I really appreciate you sitting down and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is lovely. It's so great. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist. Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! <laughs>